How did you get here? On the top floor. Why do you look away? Am I not pretty? <coughs> Who cares? Come on. <laughs> get up, get up. <laughs> I can't. Here, I'll carry you. Sakes are funny when you're not used to them, aren't they? Huh? <laughs> Why are you in such a hurry? Why? The whole building was on the third floor, and now it's fallen to the second. When this ceiling gives way, we'll be buried alive. Nothing will happen to us. Hello there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm excited for you to join me for another discussion of some of our favorite witchy pop culture. Today, we're talking about a movie that we mentioned a lot on our last episode about Bewitched. It's I Married a Witch, starring Veronica Lake from 1942. It's a really important movie in the history of witches on screen because it's one of the earliest movies to show a witch that's actually kind of nice. And it's also pretty important in the history of cinema and all those good things. To talk about it, I had to bring on someone who I was pretty familiar with because she's been on the show before, Dr. Maria de Blasi, who teaches this uh, movie in our class on witches and pop culture. It's one of the first movies she teaches in that class, so I thought she'd be a perfect guest to discuss this movie, which I had actually never seen before. So I'm really excited for you to listen to that discussion. But before we get to that, I have an exciting announcement. We have started a Patreon for The Real Magic Podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you can have access to a special Discord, movie nights, bonus content, all that kind of cool stuff. And it would really also help support the podcast and support me if you enjoy my work. Now, some of our bonus episodes aren't going to be about topics that aren't movies or pop culture. So, well, they're pop culture, but they're not movies or television. So the first one is actually going to be about one of my specialties, which is music history. I actually have a degree in music and music history, um, as useful as that is for being a writer or a lawyer. Um, I'm going to be talking about the music that you hear at the beginning and the end of the uh, episode, including Hector Berlioz's The Symphony Fantastique and the fifth movement of it's called Dream of a Witch's Sabbath. So it's all about witches, but it's also an incredibly important piece of music in the history of music. So if you want to listen to that bonus episode, which will be going up sometime later this month, or join us for movie nights, head over to patreon.com slash realmagic and join the fun. But until then, go on and listen to this episode and enjoy our discussion of I Married a Witch. How did you get here? On the top floor. Why do you look away? Am I not pretty? <clears throat> Who cares? Come on. <laughs> get up, get up. <laughs> I can't. Here, I'll carry you. Like they're funny when you're not used to them, aren't they? Huh? <laughs> Why are you in such a hurry? Why? The whole building was on the third floor, and now it's fallen to the second. When this ceiling gives way, we'll be buried alive. Nothing will happen to us. So welcome, Dr. Maria de Blasi, to the Real Magic Podcast. Again, you're our first repeat guest. I'm so excited for that. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm, I'm very excited to chat with you. Well, I wanted to bring you on for this movie because we just had an episode about Bewitched with Heather Green that was fantastic and we talked a lot in that episode about the precursors to Bewitched and one that came up a lot was I Married a Witch starring Veronica Lake which is a movie I had not at that point I had not seen until this weekend I had oh. seen Bell Book and Candle I you know I was aware of this movie but I hadn't actually watched it so I got the treat of watching it this weekend and Yay. I know you teach it in your class about witchcraft and media. So I'm like, oh, perfect guest. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's so fun. And it's funny because I had originally wanted to teach Bell Book and Candle to my students, um, but it was very hard to find online. And so I switched to I Married a Witch. And once I started doing research, I realized just how important uh, I Married a Witch was to the, to the witch canon. So it was a revelation to me. Um, and all because Bell Book and Candle was hard for my students to find. So yeah, <laughs> cool. I'm I married a witch is like it's in the library of HBO Max, which, you know, shout out to HBO Max for having a lot of really great classic film in their yeah, library. 
like most streaming services like Netflix does not have like much of anything like before 1990 and HBO Max has like it has the MGM library from many years and has its own Warner Brothers library and it's a pretty cool library of classic titles so for classic movie nerds like me it's very fun to kind of go through all those yeah definitely that's yeah that's where I get all my old movies now it's it's very nice and they had a great um uh, Wizard of Oz for my students to check out so yeah that one I definitely own on various platforms (laughs) but now it's much easier instead of like getting out the blu-rays like okay I want to watch Wizard of Oz for the 18th time with my child Um, let's pull it on out and so and it's great yeah because Wizard of Oz is owned by MGM and they own and now Amazon owns MGM post 1970 maybe but it's all very complicated how those rights work oh interesting yeah yeah so let's put this movie in context before we dive into it it was made released in 1942 probably made at the same time and it stars Veronica Lake. So what can you tell us about Veronica Lake for before we get into this? Because she is such a, I mean, she is this movie and she's yeah. such an icon in her own right. I feel like the whole purpose of this movie is for us to just be dazzled by Veronica Lake in yeah. the same way. If you like romantic comedies and you've ever watched the classic, The Lady Eve, um, that movie is just clearly a vehicle for Barbara Stanwyck to be dazzling. <laughs> like we don't, we don't care about uh, Henry Fonda. He's just sort of the, the pushover. Yeah. And it's the same thing here with I Married a Witch. We, we just love Veronica Lake. We don't really care about her co-star as much. Um, we just wanna see her be sexy and vixenish and you know outsmart this stuffy, stuffy guy. Um, but she was kind of famous in Hollywood at this point for being, she had a, actually a fairly short lifespan in Hollywood. She did. Yeah, from like 18, age 18 to 26 was her heyday. Um, and she might've been in a few films after that, but nothing significant. And I think she ended up like tending bar. Yeah, <laughs> she, she, had a, she had a very, like she was very much like kind of chewed up and spit out by Hollywood. Like she, yeah. her big break was I think only a few years before this. Yes. And I think Spencer for Hire might have been it. Uh, yeah. One of the, like she was very big in sort of these noir-ish, but also sort of comic roles where she was very much like the femme fatale. Exactly. And she was so famously beautiful and, you know, just glorious. And her, her hairstyle with the long wavy hair with sort of over her eye is just quite iconic. Um, in the movie LA Confidential, Kim Bessinger's character is a, prostitute who's sort of a Veronica Lake lookalike is her gig and so you see her kind of referenced in LA Confidential as well but yeah she was had a very tragic life very tragic and it's interesting because you know Veronica Lake isn't her real name and oh no yeah as, as she got older and she went to like bartending like nobody recognized her and they didn't realize that they were being served by Veronica Lake yeah um so it was very, it's a very strange story about her. Because, um, yeah, she was just a flash in the pan. Um, and apparently she was a pretty big boozer and partier. Yeah, definitely <laughs> had some substance problem. abuse problems. Yeah. Um, and she was notorious for being uh, pretty temperamental and difficult to work with. In fact, uh, she and her co-star on I Married a Witch, and I always forget his name, um, and I'm going to go to look, <laughs> look at fire up the Google machine. Cause I just watched this night. Yeah. Um, I want to say Fred McMurray, he, but he's it's just not. Uh, um, uh, Frederick March. There we go. Frederick March. Okay. Not Frederick, Fred McMurray, Frederick March, who was kind of past his prime at this point. He was very big in like the late twenties and thirties and some like early late silent and early talkies. And he was very much like a serious actor. So he's very much kind of playing the straight man against her, though he's pretty funny in this movie. But yeah, they did not get along at all. She played pranks on him and he hated it. Yeah, and apparently he called her like, you know, I, I forgot the exact wording, but it was like a slutty airhead bimbo kind of thing. Yeah. And she just thought he was super stuffy. And apparently he thought that she was very unprofessional at work, which she kind of had that reputation anyway. But she also claimed that he made advances on her, which she rejected. So there's all this weird he said, she said backstory. And, you know, they're probably both a little bit right. Yeah. <laughs> that would happen. But, uh, 
what a lot of uh, critics ended up saying is like, they channeled all that anger and resentment towards each other into great sexual chemistry on screen when they were filming. Yeah, it came out great. One of the behind the scenes things I read was that one of the points where he has to like pick her up, she like hit a 40 pound weight underneath her dress to probably double her weight because she's so tiny. But like the crew helped her, but you know, he, she was messing with him. But she had such a tragic life because she was put into this box by Hollywood of like the blonde bimbo, kind of funny, sexy. But when she actually, you know, was that way, she was punished. She was punished for being too sexual. She was punished for being too much of a person. And so she kind of got, like I said, chewed up and spit out by Hollywood when she uh, didn't work within the system. And she also, she was very insecure according to the director of this movie. Like she never believed she was pretty and she was very had a kind of stage fright and which is ridiculous you know when you look at how beautiful she's like an iconic beauty but then again you see how Hollywood just like messes with people's minds and how fame and insecurity and substances mess with people's minds so very sad for Veronica Lake and she was so young when she got into the game oh so young like teens like 16 maybe even younger and so you can imagine just a young girl growing up with that and not having a real sense of ever being a kid. I mean, she was going to parties and doing all sorts of stuff pretty early on. And so you see how that kind of wrecks a person. Too much adulting, too much uh, partying, too fast. Yeah, and so it's very sad for the, for other po- people looking for other podcast recommendations. My One of my favorite podcasts is Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This, which is a great podcast about old Hollywood. And she had a whole series called Dead Blondes. And Veronica Lake was one of her dead blondes. So yeah. I highly recommend that episode about her. Well, and it's interesting too, because I mean, she's so iconic as one of the um, sexy women of the silver screen. Yeah, even iconic to, blonde. Yeah, yeah to, the, to the long uh, or the deep sort of side part. I mean, growing up, that was the epitome of sexy for me. Like, and I was a kid and I didn't even know what I was talking about. Yeah. But like you, you go to the silver screen women and you see their long hair with the part and the waves. And that was, that was sexy sophistication. Um, yeah. Their legacy is, is pretty eternal. And it's interesting that it kind of, you know, it helps us segue to the movie because she is sort of treated like an object in this movie and treated like, you know, a weapon and reduced just to her sexuality in this movie, which is a way that people treat witches throughout media and pop culture and history. So when you're teaching this near class, like how do you introduce it in terms of like where it came? It was about three years after Wizard of Oz, so. So for me, so Wizard of Oz sort of established witches are scary and green and have pointy hats Mm -hmm. or they're the beautiful Glendas yeah. who are really pretty and sparkly and they're good. Or they're the Dorothy's, the everyday girl that doesn't realize she's a witch. In I Married a Witch, it's the first time we really see witches as sexy in a kind of titillating and taboo way that, you know, we also kind of like. Like, we know maybe it's transgressive, but nobody's complaining. We just want more of it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what's interesting about this film too is there's all these really sexy moments in double entendre. So they're the producers behind it were always kind of pushing the lines of mm-hmm. the censorship boards. The Hays so, Code, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so Veronica Lake in this is very much making the witch a sex object. And that's both empowering, you know, embracing women's sexuality, but it's also objectifying. So yeah. We're, we're in a weird tension with that film. Yeah, and it's interesting how, in a way, like it relates back to the witch trials because, like, it starts with witches who were killed in a witch trial. But the idea of the, the witch back in, you know, the burnt, you know, the burning times and the witch trials and the witch crazes were they were sex, they were sexually insane and having sex with the devil, and it was women's sexuality and power that was the most frightening to people. And so, that's what kind of follows through here is that she is seducing men and that's what makes her dangerous because she's not coming in with society's lines that women shouldn't cross so she's just she's not playing by the rules and so and that's also what the movie does and it allows them to 
very much, you know, get right up to the edge of the production code, which was very big in Hollywood right then. You know, you couldn't show two people in the same bed. You couldn't have kissing unless everyone was fully clothed. It was very hard because Hollywood was so frightened of getting shut down by the censors in the 30s. Yeah, exactly. And I, there's, uh, rewatching it this weekend, it's so hysterical, that opening scene of, um, you know, the witch burning or whatever. And you have the ancestor Wooly saying like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have turned her or uh, called her out as a witch because now I've lost my my sexy playmate, essentially. Yep. <laughs> he's like regretting that he lost, he's losing out on like good, good sexy times. And yet he's also like, but I had to in order to save face. And then there's the guy, uh, the side character behind him selling basically the Puritan equivalent okay. of popcorn and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah this yeah. movie is very like it's I didn't expect it to be as like funny and kind of parody as it is you know but it starts very, very like Monty Python-esque at the beginning where they're like selling you know popped maize at the witch burning <laughs> like, oh gosh I did that and I've seen this movie a lot of times but this was the first time I really caught that um and it made me realize you know part of with the witch burnings and and all of that is it is an energy it's has entertainment value yeah um people are looking for gossip and looking for scandal and so you get the real mean-spirited side of that it's not just you know protect us from the devil it's i'm going to talk about or i'm going to throw my mistress under the bus so that people love watching someone else get destroyed that's pretty much the entirety of social media some of the day someday (laughs) it's just like you know Depending on what side you're on, you're either sad about something or you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to eat my popcorn as this person gets eviscerated in social media. And depending on what side you're on, you can be happy about it or not. <laughs> but that's sort of it's a human instinct to kind of get excited by those things. It's not a great human instinct, but yeah. it is like something we've, we've struggled with. That's like back to the gladiators. And, you know, it's worth sure. the if you're the one getting burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah, it's not as fun when you're, you know, the one being in the fed to thrown to the lions literally but but yeah it's really fun the way that it starts and there's some comedy with you know the different generations of the woolies you know with their wives of various I mean they're not all horrible but like yeah it just fly into this you know kind of awful trope of like oh the worst thing is to be married these poor men with these shrewish women and it's so kind of like Ugh, where it's like, okay, this movie is about this powerful woman who's got all this magic, but she's obsessed with a man. And it's like, that's, and then all she wants to do is to have revenge on him. It's like, what do you have anything better to do? Like the whole point of your magic is you don't need these idiots. But yeah. it was made in 1942. So what, you know, no one could conceive that a woman would want to do like whatever, something else. I know. It, it's, yeah, that's one of the things that definitely doesn't age well. You know, the women are either shrews or... Uh, vixens um and it's to me it's interesting so learning about the the lead actor's animosity behind screen and then the whole plot is that uh veronica lake hates the woolies and wants to make him suffer and i was Mm -hmm. like this really interesting parallel because she's basically playing the same person she was off stage ranking this guy (laughs) and making his life miserable because he can't have her right or he can't um he can never be satisfied with her attention um, so it's a, like a really interesting to me I started thinking of it as almost like a symbiotic relationship like they don't like she hates them but she also doesn't know who she is without her um plan for vengeance yeah it's very much how it's very depressing how much like as a character she's like defined by the men in her life because she's pretty powerful but then she's just basically like a weapon or a servant for her father who's a character we haven't talked much about her father's a really fun character he's really fun to watch and the actor is really great um but you know it very much is again like the witch trials of old like the renaissance perception of witches was they were dangerous they were dangerous because they were women who had power but they only had power because of a relationship to a man either that they had embraced their sexuality or they were sleeping with the devil or had some man empowering them they weren't powerful on their own because that would be inconceivable I know, but right? 
the idea was we're afraid of these women's power and it comes from the wrong place anyway. Yeah, and interesting too, because, you know, her relationship with her father, she's, you know, she needs him. She's dependent on him for guidance. And yet he's also kind of not a very strong fatherly or masculine presence. Like he's he's drunk half the time. Yeah. (laughs) So I think her relationship with her father is really interesting because it's clear he's supposed to be like the guiding force of their vengeance plan, right? He's the one who tells her, Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's what you should do and here's yeah. why and here's what you can't do and he's exactly. one who can take away her powers and is very much totally in control of her which is kind of gross <laughs> but he's yeah fine. yeah but at the same time he's also not the strongest presence because he's like drunk half the time <laughs> and yeah. i love the whole metaphor of when he's a spirit he gives into the, the wine bottles or the liquor bottles so yeah like spirits in the bottle double spirits oh yes <laughs> and it's he's just kind of he reminds me of one of those people who like spout out advice, but they don't really know what they're talking about. In the same oh, yes. way, they're like, I didn't realize you were paying that much attention to me about what I was saying. But a lot of mansplaining heard. going on there. Yeah, exactly. A lot of mansplaining. Or warlock splaining. I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she they're they're imprisoned in an oak tree, which is actually kind of interesting metaphor. Like that's pretty. I can see where they found some folklore to base that in because there's all sorts of prisoners in the oaks and oaks are very magical. Uh, I thought that was a smart, smart nod to, to actual folklore. <laughs> yeah. And then they're uh, released by lightning. And so she, they are smoke, they're little floating smoke bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and they decide that the real way to torture this guy is not for him to marry this shrew, but for him to marry her and to break his heart that way. It goes terribly. They have like, and instead of giving him a love potion, like she drinks this love potion. So she actually loves him, but then he still falls in love with her because she's just like the force of her affection and how terrible his fiance is. Yeah. Um, that, that poor fiance, she did nothing wrong. She just had to deal with this jerk. You know, and, and she seemed like someone who's basically forced into a marriage for a political reason. Yeah, and then we then we end up with like a lot of slapstick comedy. That um, it's so weird watching these movies in our present day because like the rhythms of it and the fact that like they didn't have a lot of music and so much of like comedy nowadays comes from like music cues and the timing and editing. They didn't have those tools at their disposal exactly the way we do and so it had to very much come from like it was a farce like a play and when you're watching it alone on like a streaming service it's kind of different it must be a different experience than watching like an audience in a movie theater feel a little stilted or a little yeah Um, and it's interesting because this movie is only like an hour and 15 minutes it's not long at all it's probably part of like a double feature back in the day and it um it takes place over like the space of 24 hours essentially yeah and it's amazing how much they get out of that short amount of time and it's yeah. how much they squeeze into an hour and 15 minutes yeah it's like this is how you know movies were made it was probably shot in like less than a month from yeah. the studio um and yeah you like they they never would have thought about like this would be playing in somebody's home because like you want to the movies in the theater there was no such thing as home movie viewing unless you were like, you know, Howard Hughes and had a movie projector in your home. But this was meant to be a collective experience. And so, so much of the naughtiness and the, you know, double entendres you mentioned and like, you know, her showing up in her bed, that would be much more, you know, titillating when you're watching it with, you know, 50 other people in a darkened theater. Yeah. And, you know, they have, you know, for for the era it was made in, they, they have some great... Uh, low budget special effects yeah like when we when uh Wooly first meets veronica lake i mean it's literally in smoke and mirrors yeah so it's literally using smoke and mirrors and it's it's so so well done because you know again to get past the center board we don't actually see her but we know she's naked yeah Uh, and so we see the smoke but we've already kind of conjured a sense of the naughtiness of a man being there and she's completely nude and needs to be rescued and you know she's wearing nothing underneath the fur coat so it's all this like you know a really thoughtful way of using dialogue and just enough special effects to be just naughty enough to get everyone going 
And I think that's an artist artistry that can get kind of lost in a lot of uh, modern film uh, modern films, particularly like fantasy or horror, anything that requires a special effects. They yeah. have special effects, they forget kind of yeah. together with dialogue and characters. Yeah, because when like I think it's so it's so much cheaper and so much easier for people to use a digital effect nowadays than do the practical effect. And I think that that's sort of a loss because I think practical effects age a lot more slowly than digital effects. Like even digital, like fully digital animated movies. Like you, I was just rewatching Shrek, like, you know, it's 20th anniversary of Shrek. And like the animation in Shrek is not good. It doesn't yeah. hold up. And so much of like, if you watch even like the mummy Two, that digital uh, monstrosity with like the scorpion king is like horrible. But like, if you look at something like Jurassic Park, that was a combination of practical and digital. It's like, no, that movie still slaps. It's still believable because there was like a real physical thing in front of the camera. And so I, I love the effects here. Yeah, I always go back to the eighties uh, fantasy movies like Labyrinth. Oh yeah, you know, Dark Crystal because there was a sense of realness mm-hmm. to the set creation to props to the special effects that you just don't get in modern filmmaking Um, yeah there's a weight to it and there's a difference in the performance and I I, and I just love that you know there's so much more craftsmanship to it though not to like discount digital VFX artists because they do amazing work but they're limited by the processing speeds (laughs) exactly and and I think too part of it is there's a shift in like I don't know a lot about film but so I I would guess like there's a shift in um, scripts too like I I feel like they're leaning more heavily on the special effects whereas like in I mean the witch you know so much of the scene with the smoke and mirrors also relies on Veronica Lake's personality to carry that scene into the and you know the um, Frederick Mark plays Wooly to you know, it feels real to us, even though we also know it's kind of like a Hollywood set. And it's just probably fog machines and some mirrors. <laughs> yeah, because so much of like a performance like hers or his, they rely on the other actor reacting to them and how like they react to each other. And, you know, she's funnier because of the way he reacts to her and they play off each other so well. And um, you buy that she's lovable because he's nice to her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And they have that chemistry, even though they obviously hate each other. <laughs> offset and I just one of the things I was so surprised about in this movie is like how much character and energy she has just in her voice because a lot of her performance is just voiceover as smoke and she's got so much personality and she was she was so much more than a pretty face which is another one like the tragedies of hers she was really funny she was a great actress she was more than just this role that Hollywood wanted to assign her to that she was so uncomfortable in it's striking because yeah, she's not actually on screen for most of the film. I think it's almost a good 20 minutes before, maybe longer, before we're yeah. actually introduced to her in that burning building scene. And yeah. so, but by then we've already bought into the idea that she is a sexy witch. We haven't even seen her yet. <laughs> yeah, because her voice is sexy yeah. and she's, you know, she's so good at that character that she can convey it just through her voice. And they do a great job at that. And then like the reveal that, hey, it's Veronica Lake is like, that's a big moment because the audience knows Veronica Lake's face. And obviously they probably know who she is going into this movie, but still like, it's a big surprise, big treat. Like, yeah, you finally get to see her face. That's what you came here for. And and just some great lines that, that ground the scene, you know? Oh, I'm a blonde, you know? Oh, yeah. You're not like blondes or I forget the exact line, but it's just this real playfulness. Um, and even before that moment, you know, we know that she's, she feels like this powerful, uh, sexually empowered, worldly witch. Um, mm-hmm. So you know you're going to have a blast with whatever she decides to do with Wooly. You're just kind of waiting to see how things are going to play out. Yeah. And through most of the movie, you're definitely like rooting for her and rooting yeah. for her to win. Like, even though she is portrayed as like their witches and their, you know, quotes apparently evil and like to corrupt things like you're rooting for him because he's kind of a tool but he's kind of adorable and his family all his you know ancestors were tools and so you're like no no we want her to win it's Veronica Lake we want her to and then of course his fiance is such you know a shrew that you're like oh no don't 
we have to root for one woman against the other. We're going to have the fun, sexy one rather than the prudish, mean one. Exactly. So that's like playing into those bad tropes. But still, that's how the movie is constructed. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also fairly smart social commentary about, you know, marrying for business rather than mm-hmm. love. I mean, their whole wedding night or the, the night before their wedding. It's an election like stunt. Yeah. yeah, it's an election stunt. It's a... a election party slash engagement party slash weird so you're like even without veronica like you're almost relieved that veronica lake is coming in there to shut things up because you just feel sad for his fiance you feel sad for him it's like this is not um, this is not gonna end well even without yeah you know it's it's a pure publicity stunt yeah, there's even like a little political commentary in here because it's just, you know, elections are corrupt and they can be corrupted by witchcraft. And so there's a little, <laughs> there's some, you know, this is about 1939 as well as being Wizard of Oz was, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington with Jimmy Stewart. So like Hollywood was really for sort of actually starting to take on kind of bigger ideas about corruption and those sort of things, which, you know, this was, this isn't a very serious one, but it does kind of nod at that things beyond our control and the, the terror of being uh, brainwashed into to one certain candidate or whatever. <laughs> and also, I mean, this is like, to place this movie in context as well, this is right after the U.S. has entered World War II. Yeah. And so, like, you, that's one of the reasons they probably want to give a lot of escapist entertainment, because it was a very uncertain, scary world out there right then. <laughs> And this, it's interesting too, because this book or, or this movie was actually based off of a book by, uh, I'm forgetting who it's by now, uh, something. Uh, uh, okay, Thorne Smith. There we go. I knew it was a very yeah. uh, robust family name. Uh, a book by Thorne Smith called The Passionate Witch. And it was never finished because he too was like a loser partier and all of that. Um, but same premise, although in the book, and I was so excited, I, I have it coming from a book set, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the old pulp versions of it, you know, with the, with the trashy, sexy cover. I love those things. Um, but the book is apparently a lot darker and more cynical about marriage and sexuality. And so it's interesting to me that um, the, the people behind I Married a Witch went in a different direction they made it a little more effervescent and a little more joyful and I want to say the director uh yeah Renee Claire he was sort of uh, famous for his effervescent fantasies um really whimsical and so I love that they took what could have been a very dark cynical story and just made it this beautiful over-the-top story that in some ways is kind of about the insanity of love yeah (laughs) and it's sort of like the whole part about marriage is like you it's very much like well the idea of like oh somebody maybe having sex is sort of the subtext of this you know like oh she's in his bed oh she's naked oh but he's not married yet they're not married yet and they don't get they don't you know nothing naughty really happens until like they show up at that hotel towards the end they're like oh there's a justice of the peace right here they're like oh great now we can get laid yeah exactly and there's um so this is why i always compare it to the lady eve which was produced around the same time because it is just barbara stanwyck being very sexually forward with a similar character to the woolly character here played by um, henry fonda and i think part of the thrill of the Lady Eve and I Married a Witch is just being a sexually empowered woman saying, I know about the birds and the bees, let's do this. And a guy who's maybe less knowledgeable or has less uh, game, I guess, mm-hmm. not really knowing what to do with a lovely woman kind of killing yeah. herself. And for it to be acceptable for them to be together at the end, though, she has to like not be a witch anymore by the end. And yeah. she also has to, they also have to be married. So she has to kind of be buy into the patriarchy unfortunately and you know lose that power and though I love the little you know button at the end with their daughter running around with the broom it's like oh yeah don't worry you can't take the witch out of the woman exactly and it's also every time I see the sequel or every time I see the ending I'm like this is ripe for a sequel (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) it can be the daughter's adventures or what happens when she lets 
the bottle loose and oh yeah open that bottle and I'm out of the bottle <laughs> exactly and it's it's so cool because you know there's a lot of really witchy cliches in this film um you know the flying on the broom the cauldron that's one of the best scenes in the movie where she's singing over the cauldron and you're like how does this house oh, yeah. magic cauldron for her to do yeah. stuff with um so you've got you know the, the potion bottle it's you know the liquor bottle where she hides her dad's spirit in you know so you, you have all these um accessories that we we sort of associate with the modern witch um in this film and where once they were kind of terrifying they're now sexy because of Veronica Lake yeah Although it's interesting because this film was such a success that it's one of the things, as you mentioned earlier, that spawned interest in producing something like Bewitched. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's so interesting the way Bewitched takes it because it almost desexualizes the character. Yeah. The very safe girl next door who's always trying to contain her powers. She's whereas, supposed to be a housewife. Yeah, exactly. And for most of the movie and I Married a Witch, she's like, I'm just gonna be free and I'm gonna I'm gonna win the election for you. So exactly, exactly. And she's, you know, she's sexual, she's driven by her emotions and her whims, and she's all powerful. And to me, even like the marriage at the end that which kind of like returns things to, you know, normal, like, you know, they just tack that on in the end to like yeah. appease the censorship boards, but nobody really cares about the end. All anyone remembers is the juice yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. So can you, what can you talk about like, the influence of this movie? Because it definitely like built on like the Wizard of Oz and the idea that witches could be sympathetic and fun and they could be more heroic, not really heroic, but at least like main characters that weren't villains. So like, what do we see? Is there any witches in film like between here and Bell, Book and Candle, which is like, I think 1956? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. What do we, is there anything we see much in between this? I am trying to think, not right off the bat. And I would say she is, Veronica Lake is a much more sympathetic character than, um, I want to, it's Naomi Novak, right? In Bell Book and Go, Kim, Kim Novak, yeah. Oh, Kim Novak, Naomi. Yeah. Uh, Kim Novak um, in Bell Book and Candle. In Bell Book and Candle, the witch there is like this cold ice queen. And she yeah. has to give up her witch powers to be human, to have a heart. Um, but she's always a little bit scary. Uh, yeah. Or there's that sort of edge there, even though it's a light, fluffy film. Um, and Jack Lemon is just adorable and dazzling in that movie yeah. <laughs> um, as a male witch. But uh, in I Married a Witch, we just love her. I mean, we she's just, she's not even yeah. scary at this point. I mean, she's yeah. a sort of male sense of power, but we love her. Yeah. And so I don't really see any of that like out and out sympathy for specifically a witch who's sexualized mm-hmm. um, or or is has a sexual identity <laughs> or sexually empowered. I don't think we see that again until the late eighties. Yeah, it's really a long leap before we see like a nice, you know which we really, I mean, there's Samantha, there's others, but like it's into the night, like, I guess, I guess, which is a beast end, but that, it depends on how you want it. What was or, that? I was thinking, I guess maybe it's not till the 80s, which is of, uh, oh, which is of Eastwick, yeah. Where you're like, okay, relatable mm-hmm. women, but they don't feel empowered in the same way. That no, they're, they're very much getting like, their their power is being manipulated for most of that movie until like the very end is when they claim their power and exactly. yeah we'll, we'll get to that one too yeah, like yeah. speaking of great hair oh my god oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh the perm the perm budget on that movie must have been more than the special effects never gets old um it might look dated but it never gets old oh, yeah. <laughs> um and that movie yeah speaking of perfect casting also jack you know you can't make that movie without jack nicholson as oh, the devil <laughs> it's like okay good good job casting gods good job but yeah this is such an interesting film because it establishes something new but then it doesn't get like it gets built on very slowly until like with bell book and candle and bewitched and then we have this big turn at the end of the 60s 
um, with like Rosemary's baby, which is something else we talked about later and how the satanic panic comes up and the kind of fall of the hippy dippy era. And then not until the actual witchcraft community kind of comes out of the broom closet in the nineties, do we get witches in a different way? And it's, it's definitely, um, yeah, by the seventies, witches are scary again. And I don't really think of sexy empowered witches until the late nineties, like you said, with Charmed, which I just finally finished watching all eight seasons of that. I'm like, I, I miss the show now. I've learned to really appreciate a lot of it. So I want to go back and rewatch. But, you know, you have to appreciate how that show made witches sexy and empowered. And they could be empowered women in the workplace and in their witch life and in the bedroom, too. Like, yeah. wanting romance and sexy times did not devalue their power as witches and I think it sounds like a really basic thing (laughs) yeah it's like not only do you know does it I mean the way we talk about witches as sympathetic and fully realized characters we could substitute just women women and because like there's still we're still working at having women being like full people and any marginalized character being like a fully realized person who's not defined by their marginalization and who's not you know killed off in the second act I mean, it's still something we're working on. Welcome to Pride Month. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. Like we're still like, you know, the kill your gays issues is still an issue in like a lot of television shows, even though we're aware of that trope now, it's still tough. And so the way we portray witches is pretty much the same as the history of how we've portrayed almost any marginalized community. Exactly. And what I think is so interesting about I Married a Witch is it's very transgressive for the era but the only way it can work is if you kind of safely tie it up at the end and she yeah gives up her witchcraft but not really because you, you feel that sequel energy at the end whereas you get things like practical magic or um charmed in the 90s and they get to get their happy ending and keep their magic too they don't it's not an either or anymore yeah you have to you know Dave declaw the witch by the end of the movie and you have to get all that sexuality back in a nice bottle yeah yeah and, and then there's this idea with the 90s witches that there are things in the world that are scarier than witches oh yeah like the patriarchy exactly exactly yeah. um versus witches are tied to the devil and they're very scary um, yeah they don't really bring in the devil here but sort of her father kind of is that devil-ish character because he's apparently 800,000 years old uh, which I thought was an interesting number but I like that this movie and Bewitched and you know Sabrina it kind of starts off this trope where witches are kind of not human they're like another species they're a magical thing like leprechauns or fairies they're um, not the same as mortals the distinction between witches and mortals is sort of one of the first times made here i guess wizard of oz like it's kind of indeterminate what species glinda and the wicked witch are yeah because it's a whole other but this idea of like witches as like more like fairies than they are like humans is an interesting see begin here yeah i i I like that and that there's a clear um there, there's almost like an emotional distance or objectivity, even though she's bent on revenge, the way they talk as spirits. Um, yeah. When they're trapped in the oak tree, there's a sense of their energy being eternal. Um, yeah. They, they remind me a lot, actually, because they're smoke. They remind me sort of like demons in Supernatural, where they like they're taking possession of these bodies. It, seems, it very much seems like her father, the body her father takes is this, this poor guy who got possessed by some which smoke like her body sort of made out of nothing but like or maybe it wasn't maybe she just possessed some poor woman but like it's I know know, the fact that they're also smoke is very much like oh it's like the smoke demons and supernatural I know I thought of that watching it this time I was like wait how did they get their bodies again oh isn't that kind of a problem yeah why why am I not more uncomfortable with this? <laughs> the, con- the consent issues of possession is something that's very interesting. You see in a lot of like Wonder Woman 1984 or Supernatural or here. It's like, okay, this is not a problem we would ever really have to deal with in real life. But like, it is very rapey for some spirit oh. to possess someone's body and have them, you know, get married or have sex. But again, not a real world problem, but it brings up ideas of like, 
consent that everyone needs to talk to talk about exactly and then you wonder like okay so they possess these people what happens to the lives they led before this and I you know I just started going down a rabbit hole and I was like nope the script writer just said we need to figure out how to give them money yeah she she, (laughs) they burned down a house who cares like I like them the movie they're like oh no one died everyone got out of this hotel fine lots of property damage but it's insured so like no there's literally no actual human suffering in this movie yeah, so that's, yeah that's nice they had to yeah. make it you know palatable that way yeah and you get the sense that the the person who was talking there was almost spelt because he's just like unfazed by the fire yeah like, it's all good and it's all good man so so you're laughing at what she does but you also get a sense that she's not really causing horrible harm she's not um she's not doing anything terrible or like yeah. you know she's not doing anything like the the women in the craft <laughs> yeah. you're like oh my god you're really oh you some- killed someone yeah <laughs> and it's interesting though because like this movie's a fantasy you know in its way but in the 1940s almost all movies were a fantasy like there's no realism in cinema in these eras like we didn't get that until like the late 60s and 70s and like auteur cinema so like realism was not a thing and so a movie about which ghost bombs that possess people or turn into Veronica Lake like it was plausible because everything in these movies had a, a smattering of fairy dust in a way yeah. you know it was like okay well, like you know it's a wonderful life there's it, it's not really a fantasy movie it's got an angel but it's a Christmas movie <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and there's a sense of I think the silver screen sort of softening the edges of the narrative too it's like you um you know it's a fantasy you know it's a make-believe story and so you're not thinking too hard about the nuts and bolts or, or how that works you're just wanting to enjoy yeah um, the the thrill essentially of, of Veronica Lake being able to do whatever she wants um, yeah other people uh try and adapt to her um behavior i heard uh I, I was reading one article that described her as a silver screen manic pixie dream girl <laughs> very much she's sort of very much like a lot of you know and to kind of bring back that dead blonde series that karina longworth did like the blonde bombshell very much was that manic pixie dream girl because they were like the dream girl but most of them were also comedians they were also funny yet they were all it fall in love with these useless male characters most of the time exactly and it, and I always think about this because, you know, every five years they do like a female run movie that, and the tagline, the tagline is always like, this movie proves that women can be funny or something annoying like that. And I'm like, uh, women have been funny for a really long time. Like, yeah. Veronica Lake is hysterical in this film. Yeah. It's so amazing. And like you, you look at her in that that line of you know the blonde bombshells. Most of the blonde bombshells, like Jean Harlow or Veronica Lake, were going into Marilyn Monroe. They were comedians. Like Marilyn Monroe is hysterically funny in so many of her movies, and I don't think we really recognize her anymore as the great comedian she was. She's mm-hmm. just seen as like this you know ultimate sex symbol. But if you watch you know How to Marry a Millionaire or oh Some God. Like It Hot, she's so funny. She's hysterical. Or um, gentlemen prefer blondes, which I think yeah. is just a really great buddy comedy. And people yeah. like buddy comedy, but her and uh, was it Jean Russell are just yeah. which yes. perfect. And I I think just as we're talking about these strong women with you know comedic chops and all of this, I I keep thinking about the men's roles in these. And you mentioned that they're kind of duds, and I was like, yeah. there's. I wonder if part of the fantasy of I Married a Witch is like that, a, that Veronica Lake would fall in love with this doofus. Doofus, yeah. <laughs> so that's a male fantasy, like I could get a Veronica Lake, but he's also, also like twenty years older than her, at least. Like, but I also feel like there's almost an acknowledgement about like masculine impotence with like the drunk father, the the governor to be who can't quite yeah figure stuff out. And so the celebration is like, the women knows what's going on. These guys. Oh, yeah. are, uh, She's guys. in control for most of this. And it's it's sort of like the sitcom wife, you know, like all these, the very hot woman who is for some reason married to like Kevin James. It's like, really? <laughs> not that he's not, Kevin James isn't, you know, funny, 
but it's sort of that another it's a different level of male fantasy where it's like ah, i can kind of be a spineless dork but i'll get veronica lake or i'll get to whatever so yeah there's (laughs) i'll drink it I would love to give Veronica. She's fabulous in this. So how do your students, like, what are your students' thoughts about this movie when you do this in class? And what are their, like, main, like, questions or critiques of it? So, yeah, what's it like to teach this movie? This is, um, so... I, this is a starting a, point. This is your first movie in your class, usually, right? Yes. Well, we teach... I do Wizard of Oz, and then it's... Okay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I know. So for them, it's really interesting because... So I've only taught the class of one, so I only have, like, one... <laughs> of students and it was online so I only have like one pool of students to base my response on so I'm hoping as I teach this class more I'll have a wider pool but um one of the things they notice right away is just how sexy she is and it's such a contrast from the scary wicked witch of the west um and we're getting away from evil you know ugly equals evil pretty equals um beautiful or i'm sorry pretty equals uh benevolent yeah Um, and suddenly we're all a little bit mixed up inside because we're like she's a witch she's bringing up a steak but she's pretty Mm -hmm. really like her but is she all that bad you know like what about the woolly she slept with and (laughs) yeah you know before she got burned at the steak like why isn't he to blame so suddenly we have all these feminist threads really coming to define or really coming together to get us to question how we define witches and what that actually means um so they get um they get really going on these sorts of topics and of course they're really surprised at how in many ways this show has or this movie has aged pretty well i mean there's some dated stuff but yeah but it's still pretty funny for a movie made you know almost 80 years ago exactly and there's some stuff that feels um really titillating and fresh so they they are always surprised by that as well yeah like the the movies of this era like they're so some of them are so dated in so many ways but there were still so like some you know one in ten female characters was allowed to you know be a person and when you get to those characters it's like so satisfying to see them sort of own it and uh, one of my favorite movies from this era is the women which oh, is yeah. all, which is a movie with no men in it. That was his big gimmick. There's like no men. And it's still like a love story about this woman, you know, falling in love with her doofus husband. But yeah, yeah. That's a, um, I, I've seen that movie too. And it was like very well scripted because it's all about the private spaces that women occupy. And yeah. The yeah. Be- yeah. Great, great movie. I highly recommend. The, the other movie I'm thinking of that like defined witches of this era, we have like Wizard of Oz and we have this, but we also have Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Oh, which the, the evil queen you know she she's a witch she you know and she is very much very much the trope of like oh she may seem pretty but like her true nature is that yeah. she is ugly and evil and gonna kill and then she gets thrown off a cliff as, as you do as you, right classic Disney <laughs> but it's interesting that the evil queen as a character has probably persisted more strongly in culture especially now than Snow White is. Like most of the Snow White knockoffs now are not about Snow White. They're about the evil queen. Yeah. Exactly. We don't even know her name. Exactly. And she's um, one of my favorite uh, short stories, uh, Snow White Rewrite is by Neil Gaiman and it's called Snow Glass Apples. And it's very creepy and very uncanny. And it's through the perspective of the quote unquote evil queen who is actually a good witch. She has um, kind of like folk magic in her blood and the more you read it the more you're like oh this Snow White girl is really creepy um, yeah. it's a complete reversal of those roles and so creepy and so powerful in terms of how we think about typecasting women uh, women in power how they become villains and how youth and essentially fertility are uh, fetishized <laughs> yeah and once you're past, you know, breeding age, you become uh, a threat or um, no longer socially useful. Yeah, I think that's sort of kind of talked about this last week when talking about Bewitched and it fits into I Married a Witch. It's like, yes, witches can be acceptable and they can be heroes as long as they're fertile and sexy and eventually end up with a dude 
and just like give up their, their power in some ways, as long as they are still sex objects, we can control them. We'll, we'll accept them as long as they're not having sex with the devil. <laughs> but well, and it seems to be with the end of I Married a Witch, I mean, you just know her daughter's going to be a pistol. And, oh, yeah. And you're like, I can't wait to hear her story. But at the same time, you you also kind of know Veronica Lake's story is over. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It's like, oh, well, she's now, she, she doesn't have her hair down anymore. She's got her respectable haircut. And her daughter is the one with the Veronica Lake hairdo. Exactly. And, and, you know, the father, which is like symbol, symbolic of the, the witch energy, is like literally locked behind a protective <laughs> screen. And it's like, yeah. so she has to spend her life kind of containing that part of herself. Yeah. Um, so, so and again, in some ways it's sad, but that's, you know what the patriarchy allowed at this times, but it, you know, this movie, we built on it and, you know, we built, hopefully we've moved past some of these things as a society. We're working on it. And there's some funny things too, where, you know, Veronica Lake is all powerful and yet she essentially accidentally rapes herself with her own love potion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, she's all powerful and yet she's as fallible as a human. <laughs> yeah she just like the instant karma like you know the wiccan read comes right back at her like oh you're gonna try and control somebody's free will here's your here's yeah. your karma there exactly so. And so the the joke is like she's almost so focused on revenge that she can't see straight and yeah. and it all works out in the end but um you know there's sort of a funny metaphor there about like would they have ended up together if she hadn't have, you know yeah. it's a kind of falls for her no matter what yeah exactly um but would she want to be with him and then there's this sense of like you know I think of love potion as like the metaphor of the insanity of love you just mm-hmm. also just like feeling get want to get it get it on exactly <laughs> yeah. you know, what do they call fear goggles or what oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah, rose glow and suddenly you're like let's do this so you're not really thinking about uh necessarily thinking clearly but you know that's how relationships happen you're just like instant chemistry let's let's go for it it feels like a love potion (laughs) awesome well that kind of brings us to the end here so you know for those who haven't listened to your other episode with us where can we find you in your work what are you working on right now (laughs) yes um so definitely go and watch I Married a Witch. It's a lot of people don't know enough about this movie, but it's kind of been lost in history. So go watch it. It's a gem. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen to our episode on the craft, which was awesome. (laughs) You were just also on one of my favorite podcasts. You're on that Witch Life podcast recently. On that Witch Life podcast, I talked about uh, brujeria and ancestral hauntings and the tarot and all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, and you can also find me on my website, uh, com, And you can find my uh, nonfiction writing on everyday magic and my fiction, which is typically cozy gothic and always a little witchy. And all my social media info is on there as well. So come yeah. check it out. And as always, thank you so much for having yeah. me. And thank you for being one of our first patrons on our Patreon. So people yeah, join so the exciting. Patreon. <laughs> Come and join. We have the, the the Discord server is just getting started, but we're going to have movie nights and also. I was, I was so thank you so much for <laughs> supporting the podcast in so many ways. Yeah, I I got like so excited. I, I my cat, uh, my my familiar, he was sleeping, and I literally was like, "Oh my god!" When I saw him, I freaked him out. He like jumped out of this little nest. Um, so yeah, I'm so excited to be part of that and and to. Yeah. About witchy movies with you so yeah far. and we're gonna have like bonus episodes like now that they're actual patrons oh so i have to make, make these bonus episodes <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know listening and participating <laughs> yeah you heard it here first our first bonus episode is actually going to be about the music that i feature in the opening and closing of the podcast Ooh. the music in the opening is um a piece called uh, Dream of a Witch's Sabbath from Hector Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique. And that's an incredibly important musical piece in like the history of Western music. And it's a really cool. So I'm going to do a whole podcast using my music degree to talk about Berlioz and witchcraft and how he basically helped invent movie music with the help oh. of Richard Wagner later on. So it'll be fun stuff. I cannot wait. <laughs> so thank you again. And hopefully we'll see you again sometime soon. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank-
And there we have it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Real Magic. We'll be back in another two weeks with another great episode to discuss your favorite magical and pagan pop culture. In the meantime, please do review the show. Subscribe, tell all your friends, and leave us a rating on any podcast platform you like, but especially on Apple Podcasts, because that does help other people find us. You can also support us on Patreon under patreon.com slash realmagic. I would love it if you would support us and come talk to me in Discord. Until then, stay safe, and remember, if you do meet a naked woman in a burning building who comes to your house after you take her to the hospital, you should probably call the police. Or at least, like, an exorcist or something. Bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all the world.